Good morning. We're going to go ahead and get started today. It's good to see you. Glad that you're here to join us. I know we have, we have some families here um, visiting from out of town. We're so glad that you're here. Welcome. As everybody comes in, we're going to go ahead and get started. And so we're going to begin in the book of Lamentations chapter 3 this morning. My prayer for today is this, so that I know that as all of us have gone through this past week, as we've had worries, as we've had cares, and a lot of which we bring in here today, and there are many times that our hearts can just become hardened to the things of the Lord, just the cares of this world, just try to drive those things out of us or to harden our hearts. And so I pray that our hearts would be softened today, our affections would be stirred for who the Lord is and what He's doing. And so can you stand with me as we begin? Let's stand together. The writer of Lamentations felt this too. He felt just that tendency for his heart to harden and him to forget the goodness of God in the midst of his troubles. In verse 19, in chapter 3, it says this, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and it is bowed down within me. But verse 21, it says, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Can you say this with me? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Let us put our hope in the Lord, in his steadfast love, in his faithfulness. He is all who he says that he is this morning. Let's sing of the mercies of the Lord together. Here we go. What well, love could remember no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Sing us together. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more. What patience would wait as we constantly know What Father so tender is calling us home He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more Praise the Lord, praise the Lord 
sins they are many his mercy is more what riches of kindness what riches of kindness he lavished on us his blood was the payment his life was the cause we stood neither dead we could They are many, His mercy is more, yeah, praise the Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn, I sense they are many, His mercy Praise the Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn, since they are many, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, Since they are many, His mercy is more. Thank you for your mercy this morning. Native cry, oh, then in one. 
raptured hymn of praise We'll sing Christ be magnified Oh, be lifted high Oh, Christ be magnified Let His praise arise Christ be magnified From the altar of my life, Christ be magnified in me. I won't bow, I won't bow to idols, I'll stand strong and worship you. If it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. I won't be formed by feelings. I hold fast to what is true. If the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified with you. Because death is just a doorway into resurrection life. If I join you in your sufferings, then I'll join you when you rise. When you return in glory with all the angels and the saints, my heart will still be singing. My song will be the same. Oh, Christ be magnified. Let his praise arise. Christ be magnified. From the altar of my life, Christ be magnified in me. Oh, Christ be magnified. Let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me. Oh, Christ be magnified from the altar of my life. Christ be magnified in me. of me 
preeminence in our life this morning be magnified and glorified in every aspect of our life Lord show us who you really are show us who we are not give us a richer glimpse of your majesty of your glory we pray this in Jesus name Church, as we continue, let's read from Psalm chapter 90. Psalm chapter 90 is a psalm of Moses. It's the only one in the book of Psalms. And this is an interesting psalm because Moses pours his heart out before the Lord. And more than likely, this, is, this was written during a time in Numbers chapter 20 when a couple of things were happening. Just think about this as we read this, that Moses' sister Miriam just died. Aaron just died, Moses' brother. But then also he was thinking of more than likely this, the sin of Moses when he struck the rock in the wilderness. And so Moses is trying to come to terms with these things and thinking about who God is in light of that. So let me read this, starting in verses 1 through 6, then we'll go down to 13 through 17. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. Going down to verse 13. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we've seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to your children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. And yes, establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Moses knew that his refuge was in Almighty God in seasons of, of a lot and seasons of little. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Let that be our prayer as we continue and sing this together. You've been our dwelling place. And you have been 
our dwelling place, O everlasting God. Before you fought the mountain tops, you were before it all. And soon our lives turn back to When the sun comes up, satisfy us before the day has passed us by, before our hearts forget all your goodness, satisfy us Before the day has passed us by, before our hearts forget all your goodness, satisfy us with your love, and teach us, Lord, to number our days on earth and give us secret heart is you Forgive all your good 
when the sun comes up, satisfy us before the day has passed us by. Before our hearts give up, Spirit fill us, satisfy us with your love, satisfy us with your love, satisfy ever since by faith, ever since by faith, I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply, redeeming, redeeming love has been my theme, and shall be till Yeah. 
We give you honor and glory today, Lord. You're the King of kings. May you increase and may we decrease. It's our prayer this morning. Pray that you would open our eyes and ears as we hear your word out of Hebrews 12. Help us to know what it means to worship you in reverence and in awe. We love you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, you can be seated. As far as Bobbleville today, it's the fifth Sunday, so kids will stay in here, but we do still have nursery available if needed. Good morning. Let's try it again. Good morning. Um, I'll just say up front, I feel much better than I sound today, uh, in case you were wondering. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Hebrews 12, and then put a finger there or a ribbon there and turn to Galatians 4. If you are interested in having an outline of our, uh, our sermon today, they are back there. You can grab that. Um, kids, all kids, I know we have one group of the kids in here every week, uh, but kids, welcome. We are glad that you're here with us. Um, you are part of us, and we're thankful for you. Um, for the older kids, I've also made a, a handout, and it has some activities on it. It's on the back table. It's the big piece of paper, and it says Hebrews 12, older kids handout. And here is, uh, this is what we did last time. This is what I'm doing today. If you fill out that entire sheet, it's got a lot of the words that you're going to hear in our chapter this morning. Uh, in both a crossword puzzle and in a word search. And on the back, there's a coloring portion. And then there are some questions that you can answer. If you'll fill that whole sheet out, and if you'll bring it back to me by next Sunday, I have a Rice Krispie treat for you. So that's a pretty sweet deal. So thank you for being here. We're glad that you're here. Uh, we will be studying Hebrews 12 today. But as I said, I, I want to start out in Galatians 4. Um, in Galatians 4, Paul uh, indulges in a bit of allegory by comparing two mountains and two women and two covenants, the old and the new. Mount Sinai was the mountain where the people of Israel received the law of God, what's called the old covenant. And Paul is going to associate that mountain with a woman from Genesis whose name is Hagar. And she was the servant, the slave woman of Abraham and Sarah. And if you know the story, it doesn't go well. Like, that is not a good, 
thing. Abraham uh, has a son with his servant woman named Ishmael, and that's the PG version. Uh, and, it, and it doesn't go well in the family, but there is a free woman as well. Paul says, Sarah, Abraham's wife, corresponds with the heavenly city of Jerusalem, what the Bible elsewhere calls Zion. His point in Galatians and in the allegory is to tell them not to turn back to the slavery that was the law. He says that Christ's people are not children of the slave woman, but children of the free. So with that in mind, let me, let me read Galatians 4. I'm going to read verses 21 through 31 for you. I wanted to give that little setup so that you know where we are. But this whole book of Galatians is all about Paul's defense of justification by faith alone for the people of God. Galatians 4, 21 through 31 says this, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, Sarah's son, are children of the promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but children of the free woman. So why talk about that in an intro to Hebrews 12? It's because Hebrews 12 ends with a strikingly similar picture. Our author of Hebrews uses the same two mountains to reinforce the lesson of endurance, which is a similar point to what Paul is getting at. We ought not turn back to the things that we can see. We ought not turn back to the law. We ought to endure even if it means suffering, we endure, we remain steadfast to the very end. We don't turn away from Christ. Look at what we would forsake. He's in reinforcing the lesson of endurance and he's pressing home another point, a point that's been made throughout the book of Hebrews in different ways. A point that is, as Philip Hughes helpfully says, the greater the privilege, the greater too is the responsibility. That's the main lesson. The greater the privilege, the greater too is the responsibility. You've probably heard that in Spider-Man. But you heard it here first. Right? So this is a tale of two mountains, Sinai and Zion. So stand with me and let's read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 29. He has just finished talking about 
Esau, this example of someone who does not endure to the end, and the fact that whether or not he was talking about his repentance as it relates to salvation, he is talking about ours that way. And so he says, verse 18, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant whose blood... Sorry, and to the sprinkled blood, I'm sorry, that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, it is not just until we die that redeeming love will be our theme. It is for eternity future that redeeming love will be our theme. May redeeming love be the theme of the sermon today. Remind us of the great inheritance that we have in Christ. Jesus, be magnified in the preaching of your word. Guard, Spirit of God, our interpretation of the word and apply it to our hearts. Help us to leave here different, changed people. Open our eyes to behold wondrous things from the law. Incline our hearts to hear your testimonies. Unite our hearts to fear your name and satisfy us with your steadfast love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. In verses 18 through 21, you see the terrifying, life-threatening scene at Sinai. Okay? Now, the word Sinai is not given here, uh, but this is clearly what is being spoken about. The, the, the narrative of Exodus 19 and 20, the giving of law. God has rescued his people from slavery, grace upon grace, and he brings them to the mountain and he says, here is what it means to be my people. Here's what it means to be one of my own, one of my chosen. So he, grace and commandment, right? That's what happened. But 
they are going to face this scene with sin that is not atoned for. They are going to face this scene fully aware of the holiness of God and of their own sinfulness that is shot through the core of their being. And therefore, they are going to fear for their lives. So look at, he, at, uh, at Exodus 19 with me. Just flip there. We're going to pick up part of 19. We're going to pick up part of 20. It's the second book of the Bible. And it has just taken me forever to get there. Uh, We're going to read verses 12 through 20 here. And what you're going to hear is you're going to hear what the author of Hebrews has been talking about. You're going to hear about the trumpet and the loud voice and the shaking of the mountain. You're going to hear about the commandment that even if a beast comes and touches the mountain, it's to be stoned or uh, shot with an arrow or a lance or something like that. So uh, here here we go. God is speaking to Moses, preparing them for the day that they'll come to the mountain. He says, you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or to touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him. Why? Because someone would have to go get that person to bring them back, to put them to death and therefore would also need to be put to death, right? So you're just going to do it from a distance, This is how holy this moment is. Even the putting to the death of the transgressor is gonna be done from a distance, okay? No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. They washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. Our God is a consuming fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. Like, put yourself there for a minute. You're standing outside at the foot of a mountain. And there is a violent storm that is happening and you have to stand at the foot of this mountain with the thunder and the lightning and the thick smoke and the fire and the wind that is whipping around you. What are you feeling at this moment? And Moses speaks and the thunder rumbles back at him. And this is an answer from God. This is terrifying. This is otherworldly. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. (laughs) 
Moses went toward the lightning and the thunder. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. You hear the similar language from Hebrews 12 and it's unmistakable that this is what is being talked about. This terrifying, life-threatening. These people are afraid that they're about to lose their lives because they're standing in the midst of a great tempest. And most importantly, the people hear the audible voice of God who speaks his 10 commandments to the people. This God is decidedly not like the gods of Egypt or those of the nations. He controls the elements. He makes mountains shiver at his presence. And he speaks with an authoritative voice as of thunder. There is no God like him. In other words, he is holy. And after he gives the Ten Commandments, if you look over in, uh, in chapter 20, God gives the ten, he speaks the Ten Commandments. The people have heard enough to know that they could not bear to hear any more words. Uh, look, this is verse 18, chapter 20, verses 18 and 19. Now, when the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. So seriously, I'm not over-exaggerating when I say this is life-threatening to them. They are afraid of losing their lives at this scene. Moses, all right, so we'll we'll pause there. I'm going to pick up verse 20 in just a second. Uh, so, So pause on that. So what they're doing is they're asking for a mediator. They're saying, we need someone to go to God on our behalf and to speak to us on God's behalf. They're asking for a mediator. You mediate this covenant for us. We will listen. We will obey. But they know God's presence was so radically holy that they could not bear to hear more of his voice speaking. Terror is what happens when radical sin encounters radical holiness, okay? Terror is what happens when radical sin encounters radical holiness. They're terrified by the sheer otherworldliness of this encounter. And it's It's owing to the fact that they have sin. They're terrified that they might literally die. But in in verse 20, and this is going to matter for later, but in verse 20, the one thing that I want to point out was pointed out by someone in our church a few weeks ago to the men. um, And it's this, verse 20 of chapter 19 right there. Moses said to the people, do not fear For God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you. Don't fear, but fear, right? So what you see in verse 20 is there is a distinction between terror 
and the fear of the Lord. This life-threatening terror and the fear of the Lord. And what is happening is God wants to draw his people from this terror fear to a worship, reverence, awe, fear. Okay, And that's what also Hebrews 12 is driving us toward. So we're going to get there in a moment. But just, just notice that there's a difference even at this time between terror and the fear of the Lord. Okay, So back to Hebrews 12, we see the, this life-threatening, terrifying scene at Sinai. But the point that the author is trying to make is that this is not the mountain to which we come. This is not the mountain at which the believer in Christ meets with God. He reminds us not of their terrifying, life-threatening scene, but of our merciful, joyful scene at Zion. The merciful, joyful scene of Zion, verses 22 through 24. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who enrolled in heaven, to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So commentator and uh, theologian Al Mohler helpfully says, the awful terror of Sinai shows the radical mercy of Zion. At Zion, God embraces us with his grace and administers to us a covenant where he does not merely write the law on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of our hearts. I just wanna take these phrases one by one and just make a quick comment on each of the phrases uh, that, that indicates, uh, or that are indicated by Mount Zion. So verse 22 the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Back in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, Abraham was looking for a city that had foundations whose designer and builder was God. They were after a heavenly city. They wanted a heavenly country. And he says, this is what you've come to, believer. You have come to what Abraham was always seeking. The city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the place where God dwells, you're there. He says, we've not just come there to innumerable angels in festal gathering. Festal is not a word that we use a lot, but it's related to the word for festival, right? So they're gathered for a festival. What's one of the things that you do at a festival? You rejoice. What's another thing? You feast. This is is like a party that's happening. This is a joyful event, and the angels are gathered for this festival, and they're ready for it. This is myriad angels in festal gathering. And, 23, to the assembly of the firstborn enrolled or registered in heaven. That word assembly is the same word that we use for church. The church of Christ, who is the firstborn over all creation, the firstborn of the dead, as the word calls him, the son over God's household. Those who trust Christ, their names are indelibly written in the Lamb's book of life. We're registered in heaven. 
praise the Lord. And there's not an eraser on that pencil. It's not even a pencil, maybe. Okay. So we've come to the heavenly Jerusalem, innumerable angels in festal gathering, the assembly of the firstborn. It's like, here's the party the angels are gathered for, and this is the guest list of the party. Okay? And to God, the judge of all. Abraham called God the judge of all the earth. And we know from the Psalms that he will judge the world with righteousness. All people will answer to him as judge and there is none who will escape his perfect justice. This is for believers both a sobering and comforting fact and it ought to be a sobering fact for unbelievers as well. God is the judge of all. He sees all, he knows all, and he judges all. It says, and to the spirits the righteous made perfect. And this is also good news because those who have died in the Lord have not yet received their transformed, perfected bodies, but their spirits have been glorified. They are not all that they will be one day, but they are with the Lord now beyond the reach of sin. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Their spirits have been made perfect and they are awaiting the time when it's reunited with their bodies in the new heavens and new earth. This is what we've come to. This is, like, these things are the inheritance of every believer. The heavenly Jerusalem, innumerable angels and festal gathering, the assembly of the firstborn whose names are enrolled in heaven, God, the judge of all, the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And if Jesus doesn't come back first, we will have our spirits perfected the moment we die. Not because of things that we've done, but because of what Christ has done. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. They asked at Sinai for a mediator of this old covenant. But here's the thing. In in the first few verses, we learn that at that scene, even the mediator was terrified. Look, Look, here it is. 21. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses, this is the me. He's the one that went up the mountain with lightning and smoke and fire. He says, I tremble with fear. Jesus is a better mediator. He's the mediator of a new covenant who can perfectly place his hand on God and man and reconcile the two. And we've gone through in the book of Hebrews what it means that Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. So I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but this is good news. And part of his mediation of this covenant is the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel was the first person killed, the first human being in the Bible to die. Uh, And his blood, he was innocent, he was righteous by faith, and he was innocent in that regard. He did not do anything to deserve death, but his brother in anger killed him because of his righteousness. And God says in Genesis chapter four, what have you done? Your brother's voice is crying out from the ground that has opened its mouth to receive it. Abel's blood is crying out for justice. 
in Genesis 4. Jesus' blood speaks a better word than Abel's blood. What does Jesus' blood speak? Reconciliation. Salvation. Forgiveness. Abel's blood cries out for justice. Jesus' blood satisfies justice. These two mountains could not be more different, could they? Look at the mercy of Mount Zion. You don't earn this. You come to this mountain, Mount Zion, not because you are awesome or because you're righteous or because you are clever or good looking. You come to this mountain because God put Jesus, his only son on the cross and allowed him to be killed, murdered in your place as a righteous, perfect offering for sin. And it is his blood that sprinkles you, that delivers you from the wrath of God. God is the judge of all, but you get to know him as father because of the sprinkled blood. Not that cries out for justice, but that satisfies justice. Mercy. And for that reason, a festival. That's where all of this is heading, right? Uh, With the the college uh, and young adults this morning, we were were studying. That's why we were late getting in here. Um, We were talking about how Paul, uh, in in Philippians chapter 3, What he's really after, what he wants to attain more than anything else is the resurrection of the dead, right? So he's like, by any means, I want to attain the resurrection of the dead. That's what he's after. And we talked about our goals, our dreams, our desires are just way too small because all of this is moving toward the marriage supper of the lamb, this festival and, will be a, and, 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 and the worship that will happen around the throne of Christ into eternity future with multitudes of other people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people who have placed their faith in Christ and are covered by his blood. That's where it's all going. And you have come to this because of him. Joyful merciful scene at Mount Zion. So you see here the contrast. And maybe you can hear again his admonition, don't turn back to the law. Look what the law got you. Look what your life, your former life in Judaism to these Hebrew believers, look what your former life got you. Mount Sinai, terrifying, life-threatening situation unatoned for sins in the presence of holiness and a judge terror that's where it got you but you're offered mercy and joy at Mount Zion and in 25 through 29 of Hebrews 12 we need to take a moment and look at how this should shape us now on my outline I don't even remember what I put on my outline, to be honest with you, but I'm just going to need you to scratch through those little points at the bottom of the outline because 
as we were worshiping, it just like the way that I should word all of this kind of came then. So it's not even here in my notes exactly, uh, which if you know me at all, that's terrifying to me. So uh, we're going to do what we can to get through this. Uh, ways that this should shape us. Um, I think I had it put in terms of what we shouldn't do and what we should do, like what, what that should be. Here, here's just what we, like, I just want to talk about three ways in which this ought to shape, like this reality, this reality of us standing at the foot of Mount Zion, as opposed to the terrifying scene at Mount Sinai, being delivered from that. What should it do in us? What type of people should it make us become? Okay, the first thing is that it should make us a listening people. It should make us a listening people. Verse 24, Jesus' blood is speaking. It doesn't say spoke. It said speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Um, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2, the very beginning of our book. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Jesus is speaking. Particularly, verse 25 He's warning us from heaven, warning us not to turn away, but to endure, warning us of the grave consequences of turning away. So he says, see to it or watch out that you do not refuse him who is speaking so you don't cover your ears You don't look away. You don't turn your face. You don't refuse what he says. You submit to it. You surrender to it. And you listen. And and the point is, so I am not certain whether or not he's talking about Moses or God warning from earth. And quite frankly, like, it doesn't exactly matter to the interpretation of this verse, whether or not he's talking about Moses warning them or God warning them. And and really both of them happen in Exodus, right? God thunders and Moses warns them multiple times, right? Someone's warning them on earth and they refused and they rejected through both their posture in not wanting to listen, not wanting to hear. And then Moses is on the mountain within the 40 days of receiving the law. And what do they do while he's up there? They make golden calves and they worship them. So with their posture and with their actions, they refuse him who warned on earth. And they were accountable for it. And they died in the wilderness. They didn't enter God's rest. They didn't get the promised land. Like we've, that's Hebrews three. We've been walking through this book, right? And his point is, if that happened to them, 
then what about all the things that we just talked about that are our inheritance and all of the heightened revelation that we have from God? If we reject that, he's warning us from heaven, what will become of us? The greater the privilege, the greater the responsibility, the greater the revelation, the greater the accountability before God. He says, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. So Luke 12, 48, Jesus actually says, to whom much has been given. This is like, this is actually the Spider-Man quote. Um, but again, it was here first. They, whoever wrote Spider-Man took it, is it Stanley? He took it from uh, Jesus. Uh, to whom much has been given, of him much will be required. Okay, that's Luke 12, 48. And then Hebrews chapter two, a, a very similar thing has been said. Uh, and uh, our worship pastor, Kevin, preached a wonderful sermon on this back in January or February this year. And I would just highly encourage, if you're interested in hearing this as we read it, you should go listen to that. It's a great sermon. So he says this, um, Hebrews 2, 1 through 3. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels, that's the law, proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It's the same thing as what we're reading here. If we go back to Sinai, if we fall away from Christ, we fall away from grace. That's Galatians chapter five, verse four. He's telling them that to the the Christians who want to surrender to the law, he says, you have fallen away from grace. This is not talking about Adam and Eve falling from grace. This is literally, you have been taken up to the heights of God's grace and you've jumped off the cliff and you've fallen away from it. Don't fall away from it. We will not escape if we do. It will be worse for us than those who did not know or have not heard. We must watch ourselves carefully. And then what he does in the next couple of verses is he actually uses uh, the book of Haggai. So uh, three years ago, four years ago, my my timeline is all off. We studied the book of Haggai. It was like a five-week study of those couple of chapters in Haggai. And we actually read these verses and we studied them. But he says at that time, right? Now this is 26, that's in Moses's day. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, and here's Haggai, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. If you look back at Haggai, I would encourage you to go there with me very quickly. Haggai chapter two, verses six and seven. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. There is a shaking that gives way to glory. And that is what is happening in Hebrews chapter 12. There is a shaking 
And by that is indicated, this is judgment. Like there is a judgment that is to come that we still await today. There is a judgment coming, a shaking, and a removal of the things that, that can be shaken so that the things that cannot be shaken, namely Christ's kingdom and his people, that they may remain. So he's taking verses from Haggai and applying them to the present and to the future. And he's saying, God has promised, he's promised now that he's going to shake earth and heavens. And he's going to remove the things that can be shaken. It says universal cosmic judgment and those things that remain will be glorious. And so for all those reasons, we should not refuse Christ. In other words, to word it positively, we should be a listening people. Listening to the word. Receiving with gladness and with meekness the word implanted which is able to save our souls. We should be a listening people because of this inheritance that we have. The second thing that we should be is that we should become a grateful people. Okay? We should be a listening people. We should become a grateful people. Verse 28, therefore, let us be grateful. Uh, If you read the King James, it actually says, let us have grace. And that is the more literal translation of those words. Let us have grace. Let us be grateful. Uh, Grace is ill-deserved kindness. Not just undeserved, but ill-deserved kindness and favor from God. We deserve death and condemnation. And instead of giving us that, he has instead given us justification in life because Jesus earned those things and gave them to us. Okay? He gives us an eternal, unshakable kingdom that endures forever. It's wholly undeserved. It's wholly ill-deserved. It's the opposite of what we actually deserve. And so what is the proper posture and disposition for receiving such a kingdom that we profoundly deserve the opposite of? It's gratitude. Look back over the Mount Zion section and see all that you have And every time you read one of those phrases, pause and think, I don't deserve this. I deserve the opposite of this. I deserve Mount Sinai and worse. Not only a life-threatening situation, I deserve to forfeit my life. And God has given me this instead. And it's all because of Jesus. Consider that every moment of your life is a product of God's grace. And every single millisecond that passes in eternity is grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. Every millisecond of eternity is upheld by grace. You've never earned a moment of your time in heaven. Therefore, I believe that gratitude won't stop in heaven I don't think we'll be less grateful when we're in heaven. I think we'll be infinitely more grateful every moment that we are in heaven. I have a dear friend in New Orleans who was diagnosed with cancer back in May. So I was on vacation and got a text from this, this brother. Uh, and he, he said, I wish that I had better news, but I'm, just, I'm, I'm texting to tell you. He's, he's my age. He's 35. And he has four kids. And he's like, I have cancer. 
And they began to go to these appointments and they found out it is a very advanced form of cancer. Uh, and it is like in his bones um, and in other places too. Um, we've been able to go and be with them a handful of times since that diagnosis. Uh, and they're precious and they love the Lord and they, um, they are trusting him. Uh, but one time when we were at this house, their, their house, uh, I saw a, 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 a picture hanging on the wall. Uh, it's not really a picture. It's like a, one of those things with words on it that kind of like Ronnie makes. Um, and I had to snap a picture of it. And uh, do we have it? Can, can we show that? They are living the truth that is hanging on their wall right now. There's always something to be grateful for. Their lives have been shaken to the core. But you know what? They didn't take this off the wall because it's true. The kingdom of their Savior is unshakable. Their identity in Christ is immovable. It cannot be touched by cancer. At the end of their brief, difficult lives in a broken world, they will have their spirits perfected. And then one day they will stand in the new heavens and new earth with bodies that have been raised and glorified. They stand now, they live at the base of Mount Zion. And the blood of their Savior speaks better even than the blood of Abel. And for those reasons, there is always something to be grateful for. Maybe we could say it the way that Paul says it in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It's God's will for you that you give thanks in all circumstances. Because you have received by virtue of the grace of God a kingdom that cannot be shaken. What should this make us? It should make us a grateful people in all circumstances. And then at the end, the second half of verse 28, and thus... Let us offer to God acceptable worship in reverence, with reverence and all. It should make us a listening people. It should make us a grateful people. It should make us a worshiping people. If you'd rather write a reverent people, I'm okay with that. What's interesting in, in that verse is that word thus. Um, the NASB fills that out a little bit by saying something like, through which we may offer to God. And it's because um, it's not, this is not like a command to offer acceptable worship to God. It is that. But what it's saying is that gratitude is actually the thing that makes our worship acceptable to God. That's really interesting. Through which, let us have gratitude through which we offer acceptable worship to God. Like it is, it unlocks acceptable worship to God. Your gratitude unlocks your worship. It enables worship. It fuels loving worship and makes it acceptable before God. 
we should become. Because we're a grateful people, we should become a worshiping people. Right? Rejoice in the Lord always. And we also see that gratitude is not alone. There's a posture of worship that is with reverence and awe. And Paul Tripp, in his book, When People Are Big and God Is Small, I'm, I'm gonna share a little bit more about this in the newsletter tomorrow. Um, he talks about the difference between terror fear and worship fear. And terror fear is the fear like was experienced at Mount Sinai, where I am uncovered, naked and exposed in my sin before a holy God. And I'm terrified because I'm, I, I should and I will lose my life. I'm terrified. But as God saves and redeems us, he brings us out of that terror fear and into what he calls the worship fear, a reverent respect and an awe of God. Right? We still know God as judge, but we also know his love as father. And it's what the Bible talks about as the fear of the Lord, the beginning of which is wisdom. So this is, this is Moses in Exodus 20 saying, don't fear because God's here so that you'll fear him. Right? So don't be terrified right now, but let God move you into the worship fear of God. Terror fear has to do with unatoned for sin and judgment. Worship fear is the love, reverence, and awe that are spoken about here, right? Um, unless we think that we shouldn't have reverence, well, we're told here that we should, but also uh, Hebrews 5, Jesus was sinless. He was sinless. Hebrews 5, 7, though, says, Jesus, in the days of his flesh, offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. So Jesus was sinless and he had reverence for his father. How much more should we sinners redeemed by his grace have reverence for God, respect, awe, worship. The proper response to the vast grand purposes and wisdom of God in Christ. The natural response to overwhelmingly good news is wonder, awe, amazement, astonishment, and yes, fear of the Lord. So when we gather together to worship God, there should be the acknowledgement that we do not deserve any of the benefits and blessings that God has granted to us. And therefore, we should have a gratitude that he has given us those things. And we should drive, and it should drive us toward reverence and awe and worship. We ought to have a sense of respect and awe at this God and his kingdom when we worship him. We don't feel the same terror that would have, we would have felt standing at Sinai, but we should have respect as of a child to his father. And we should teach the fear of the Lord to our children as well. And he ends with, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, it is a fire that consumes the adversaries. It is not a fire that consumes his people. But if we fall away, we prove to be his adversaries. And so once again, we land in the same place that we landed in Hebrews 10. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Don't fall away. Keep going. Keep pressing on. Keep enduring. Knowing our inheritance 
Knowing that we stand at Mount Zion and not Mount Sinai, it should make us a listening people. It should make us a grateful people. It should make us a worshiping people. May we be grateful for our inheritance and this unshakable kingdom and the blood of Christ that proclaims the forgiveness of our sin. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time that you've given us together. Use this word. Grow us, help us, change us in all the ways that we need to be changed. God, if we, uh, if we are dealing with uh, ungratefulness, if we are dealing with entitlement, I pray that you would humble us into gratitude. If we are struggling and fighting against uh, idolatry in any form, the worship of anything that is not you, a too great a love for anything that is not you, then God, uh, I pray that you'd refine us and help us to be a more worshiping, reverent people. If we would be cavalier about your promises or your word, if we would even drift toward refusing your word, then God, graciously bring us back, even if it means discipline for us. God, bring us back to you. I trust, Lord, that you will work what you want in the hearts and minds of your people in the coming moments and days and weeks. Lord, if there are any here who are your adversaries and are in danger of being consumed by you, our consuming fire, God, I pray that the blood of Christ about which they've heard today would transform them from those who are storing up wrath to those who know and exist under the love and the favor of God. Thank you for this unshakable kingdom that you've given to us. Make us listening, grateful, worshiping people in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come to the table. I'm going to back up a little bit. I think I'm, I think I'm in the line of the speakers here. We come to the table, and once again, this holy, undeserved sign of a, an undeserved covenant that God has made and kept with his people. So once again, I want you to look at the bread and the cup. I want you to ponder that Christ's body was broken and not yours for sins that you committed, that his blood was shed instead of yours for sins that you committed, not for his sins. And I want you to remember that what is proclaimed at this table, namely the death of Christ, is what it took and what God was willing to give so that you could be reconciled and that you could receive this inheritance. Not through your efforts, but by his. This is like a meal at the base of Mount Zion that anticipates a meal in that heavenly city one day where all of history is moving toward for the people of God. So be encouraged and be reminded, be made grateful at this table, worship at this table. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to examine yourself. Start listening now. Ask the Spirit to show you sin in your life that you need to confess and repent of. 
And if you need to go confess to a brother or sister, be made right, be reconciled with that person and then come to the table together. If you don't know the Lord, if you're not one of his, you're not trusting the sacrifice of Jesus, don't come to the table. It's not gonna go well to eat in disobedience. It's not gonna go well for you to eat of a sacrifice, a representation of a sacrifice that is not yours. It doesn't cover you. You'll actually be guilty of the body and blood of Jesus when God wants you to be covered by the blood of Jesus. He wants you to know the blood of Jesus that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So take Jesus instead of the bread and the cup. If you would like to pray with someone, I'll be right here on the front row. I would love to pray with you. I would love to point you uh, toward the Lord in any way that I can. Um, But obey. Ask the Lord to search your heart. Examine yourself. Repent. Trust Christ. And come and celebrate at this table the forgiveness of sins because of the shedding of his blood. As we gather at the table of the Lord, we remember that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Father, help us in this observance of your table Help us to remember and proclaim the death of Christ in a fitting manner. Help us to examine ourselves, to repent of known sin, to turn away from it and to turn to Christ in renewed faith. And let this encourage us and grow us and help us in our journey. God, may we walk with you in faithful obedience. Make us more into the image of your beloved son. And grow us into a grateful, listening, worshiping people. In Jesus' name, amen. The table's open. Nothing can compare, come let us
Father, we offer you our gratitude for a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We offer you gratitude for our king who laid down his life to bear the weight of our guilt, the weight of our sin, and the weight of our shame on his shoulders, and who conquered the grave. Thank you for this moment, Jesus, that you purchased and that you uphold even now. And Spirit, thank you for the way that you've applied this message to our hearts, the message of the body and blood of Christ. So make us fit to partake. And increase our joy over your mercy, our gratitude over your kingdom, our worship, and our reverence. You are a consuming fire. And the only reason we won't be consumed is that, Jesus, you were consumed instead of us. And again, we thank you. And we make this prayer in your name, Christ. Amen. Paul writes, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. And he writes, in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink. Amen. I want to spend one more day, one more Sunday. Um, Because of current events, we've changed up our missions prayer time this month. Um, to pray for Israel and to pray for Gaza and how fitting we've been talking about the people of God at Mount Sinai uh, and and the, the law that the people in the state of Israel today still seek to follow to varying degrees but it doesn't lead them to God they still stand at Mount Sinai And we want to pray that they would come to Mount Zion. That they would become, in other words, most fully Jewish as their Messiah was. So would you pray that for them right now?
Father, there are unbelieving Jews and unbelieving Palestinians who desperately need to know the good news of Christ and to surrender to it. I pray that you would use the, uh, the events happening there to bring them from Mount Sinai to Mount Zion. God, we do pray for peace and we pray for righteousness and for justice to be done and for the loss of life to be mitigated. But Lord, if all of those things happen, if, if justice is done and if uh, loss of life is mitigated and if peace comes and, and there is no reconciliation to the God who made them through his son Jesus, then it's just a band-aid. It's a needed band-aid, but it's just a band-aid. God, I pray that they would know the peace of God that comes through Christ by faith. And that as an overflow of that, there would be peace in their region. And once again, we thank you for a kingdom that cannot be shaken, even by horrific events in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. I just have one announcement today, I think. Uh, someone may add to that in a moment, but um, we have women's meeting this Wednesday night. Um, so our men meet one week and the ladies keep the kids and then our ladies meet the next week and the men keep the kids. That's kind of the arrangement we've had this year. Um, it, is, it is very likely gonna change at the beginning of next year. Uh, in some way, and we're still working through the details of all of those changes. But, uh, but for now, Wednesday night, six o'clock, do we know the location for sure? The Stewart's house. Okay. And, and Evan's house. Uh, and there will be a, there will be a group message that will go out to talk about what ladies can bring. Um, but any lady in this room is welcome to come to that. Anybody else have any other announcements? Okay. Okay. So to make sure that everybody heard that, Aaron Guidry's surgery was going to be Friday. It got moved to this week. So first of all, please be praying. Continue to pray for her. We prayed for her last Sunday, but please continue to pray for her that that she would come through that well. That the doctors would accomplish everything that they want, and that he would heal her through that. And then uh, if you signed up for the meal train for this week, they don't need it yet. So just maybe unsign up and then sign up later for a, for a different date. Um, anything else? Catherine. That's right. November the 19th, the week before, the week of kind of Thanksgiving, we're going to have a potluck dinner at Kevin, I mean, <laughs> Dean. <laughs> Kevin and Ronnie, Dean and Catherine, at Dean and Catherine's house. Uh, and that is in Pollock. So uh, there are details online for that. We'll have more details closer to time. Um, but please make plans to be there for that. All right. Can we stand together as we dismissed? We're going to dismiss with our, our catechism question for this week. We go through one of these a week. 
out of the New City Catechism. It's a question and answer, so I'm going to ask this question. Can we say this answer on our screen? We've been going through um, the Ten Commandments over the past couple of weeks. Our question for this week, what does God require in the Sixth, Seventh, and Eighth Commandments? Six, that we do not hurt or hate or be hostile to our neighbor, but be patient and peaceful, pursuing even our enemies with love. Seventh, that we abstain from sexual immorality and live purely and faithfully, whether in marriage or in single life, avoiding all impure actions, looks, words, thoughts, or desires, and whatever might lead to them. Eighth, that we do not take without permission that which belongs to someone else, nor withhold any good from someone we might benefit. Amen. I love you. You're dismissed. Be blessed as you go.